Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and the secret link between perfecting your Destructo Disc and pizza parlors. The Earth has just evaded an alien apocalypse, but sadly, not all of our heroes are there to celebrate. How will our heroes get things back to normal? Maybe they don't? Maybe everything is just awful at this point? Well, find out on tonight's exciting episode of Instant Transmission. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And we'll be covering DBZ Kai's episodes 17 through 24 as our heroes begin to rebuild after the advent of Nappa and Vegeta. Gohan and Krillin are pretty battered, with Goku being in even worse shape. Tonight's episode picks up just after the climactic ending to the struggle as Krillin contemplates taking the life of the near-dead Vegeta as he crawls towards his space pod. And with all of that covered, was there anything you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? No, I think we can kind of just dive right into the Namek arc here. Yes, and we kind of covered this at the end of last episode, where Krillin is contemplating taking Vegeta's life after this brutal battle between our heroes and the Prince of All Saiyans. Yeah, and this is... Oh, did we give the episode title with for episode 17? Oh, good call. Yeah, we don't want to forget about that, which is episode 17, Dawn of the Fierce Battle. The planet of hope is Piccolo's homeland. And Dayton's right. We kind of covered this because this bit of the beginning of episode 17 really wraps up the Saiyan arc, in my opinion, because Goku is Krillin's about to put the sword to Vegeta, finish him off. And Goku pleads with Krillin telepathically, mind you, uh, to let Vegeta go, basically stating that it would just be a waste to get rid of such a powerful fighter because Goku wants the chance to fight him again. Yeah, it's really, I mean, Goku did this with Piccolo, right? And now he's doing it with Vegeta it drives me nuts that these just mass murdering, murdering maniacal maniacs get let off the hook every time by Goku. It just, it feels a little too risky to me. It's interesting. Right. And it's, I mean, a lot of the, it's kind of explained away by his Saiyan heritage. Uh, in some ways, Vegeta is the same. They always want to push themselves and they want someone available to test the limits of their power. And so you kind of get it based on his heritage, but it also gets it gets overplayed a little bit, maybe in Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah, but it's I mean, it's part of Goku's character at this point. And once the decision's made, Vegeta crawls back into his pod and barely makes it out with his own life, zooming back off into space. And it's at about this point that we see Roshi and Balma and the rest of the well surviving gang arrive at the battle site. We see Chi-Chi rushing to her batter battered child's side, ignoring her near-dead husband. And there's kind of this moment where the group takes a minute to kind of mourn their lost friends. We see Balma showing an immense amount of emotion after seeing Yamcha die on live TV. Yeah, and this is this is interestingly done uh i chi chi here is is both funny and annoying to me like it's it's funny to see her just full-on like leap over goku's beaten and broken body to get to gohan 
Uh, but she, and of course, you know, this is a mother who has been without her child for over a year at this point, her five-year-old child. (laughs) So I get it on some level. And I'm sure she's used to Goku just going off on an adventure and not being there doing whatever, whatever Goku things that Goku does. So it's, I get that, that emotion, that feeling, the, and I mean, it's her, her first child, right? There's always that, that attachment that I've seen with my older brother and not me. (laughs) (laughs) No bitterness there at all. Yeah. Not none, zero, but it's, the 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 moment to mourn was definitely something that I'm glad they included in DBZ Kai because I it's still not a long moment but it is an important moment and I know Kai kind of just sweeps a lot of the stuff under the rug or glosses over it but I'm glad they left it in. There's I mean there's even another scene that I want to talk about coming up here too but uh, for a similar moment but kind of our our heroes kind of collect their wounded. Uh, they don't have any more sensu beans in the moment. So they basically are saying like, hey, we need to get Goku some medical attention. Uh, and so they take him and the others on a ship uh, in order to get them to a a hospital. But that kind of carries us to the scene that I really like here. Where several of our crew go to find the remains of their fallen comrades. Uh, They go to find Tien, Yamcha, Piccolo, and Chiaotzu. And they they find three bodies. And then there's some some dialogue about, hey, where's Chiaotzu? And they're like, there's not going to be a piece of Chiaotzu left. (laughs) Yeah, and... They they brought back something from original Dragon Ball here, too, which is they have these pods that they're putting all the bodies in. And I don't believe they actually explain it in Kai what the pods are for. But in original Dragon Ball, these were used to preserve bodies until they could be brought back by the eternal dragon Shenron. And it's an interesting note. I don't know if they re-explain it in original Dragon Ball Z. But in the original Dragon Ball series, they they do explain what that is. And I'm not sure if that's something that I had noticed the first time I had watched it or even um, any of the other times after that. Yeah, that's a that's a good catch. The I'm 99 percent sure in the original Dragon Ball Z, they don't really mention those pods, but. We just got done watching Dragon Ball where the pods, I mean, they talked about them basically being like freezer capsules for the bodies. And that scene, though, where it's it's nighttime, they're collecting the dead, uh, putting them in these pods is really well done in Kai. I, I also want to point out too, Kai's music I'm kind of middling on. But there are a few scenes where they change the music and it changes the feel of the scene drastically. And this is one of those scenes where it has some very sad music playing in the background. And so you really kind of feel the emotion of the characters as they're collecting their dead. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a scene that's necessary to happen, right? It's they they're not just going to leave all their friends bodies out in a in some barren battle site. They're going to go collect them. And it it is a heavy scene, but this scene kind of does a flip flop where we go from 
kind of this hopeless, sad, somber moment to Krillin actually revealing something he's been thinking about. And he mentions that the Saiyans that they had just fought, they already knew about the Dragon Balls and the fact that Piccolo was something called a Namekian. And Krillin puts two and two together and there might be Piccolo's homeworld somewhere out there in the universe where there may be a new source of Dragon Balls. And so new hope is kind of, and new life is breathed or I guess given to the, the party as they realize that there might be a chance for them to bring everyone back. However, even if, if, even if they do find Namek, how are they supposed to get there? There's a lot of questions at this point. I mean, for those of us who have watched Dragon Ball, we're, we're in a world right now where, at least as far as Earth is concerned, space, space travel is not really a thing, or at least not on a large scale by any means. And so they're trying to figure out exactly how they're going to travel to this planet that they don't even know where it is. But Krillin comes in clutch one more time and says, hey, I picked up this controller that Vegeta had. I'm pretty sure it was for one of the spaceships, most likely the now vacant spaceship from Nappa, since Nappa got turned to space dust. Yeah, and so we might have the technology if Bulma can reverse engineer it. So we might have the space travel part kind of unlocked, but how do we find Namek? And this is where... Goku jumps in and actually pulls in a favor with the, well, King Kai asking to get the location of Planet Namek. And I kind of like this. Everybody in the group is kind of pitching in a little bit of something to get this idea up and running. I like this a lot. I mean, everybody's everybody's working together here. Balma's kind of like, hey, I'll take the controller uh, because I'm the only one who you know knows about technology and space capsules and space travel whatever so yeah like you said the whole group is contributing here king kai uh is trying to figure out like hey where the heck is namek uh i think there's even a king kai even makes a joke that i thought was kind of silly or funny in the dub as he's reading an address book trying to figure out where namek is and he's like yeah, i can't even read this thing it might as well be in japanese <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes the humor is a little a little on the nose yeah a little bit it was pretty pretty goofy but funny uh i think uh king kai tracks down the location of the planet and we've got a saiyan space pod reverse engineer for the flying technology i think that's more or less the episode is that they they now have a game plan yeah i think you're right i think that pretty much takes us on to the next one yeah, which is episode 18, the spaceship that sleeps in Yunzebit, blast off for planet Namek. So we kind of begin this one at the hospital uh, with our injured crew. We've got Goku, Krillin, Gohan, and Yajirobe all getting medical attention. Goku's pretty much wrapped head to toe in bandages uh, the others in they have multiple injuries, but they're, you know, they're able to move around. And at this point, Balma kind of comes in saying, hey, I've been doing some research on this controller for this, say, in space pod. And they turn on the TV and they're kind of seeing like, oh, 
some news crew has taken the space pod and they're inspecting it. But so Balma decides, hey, now's a good time to see what this controller can do. And as she punches in a few buttons on the controller, we see on the television the space pod explode. Yeah, so their their ticket dynamic is kind of looking out the window or space dust at this point. But conveniently, it's at around this point that we see Mr. Popo show up on his magic carpet standing outside of their hospital room window. And he mentions that he might have a lead on another spaceship. I thought this was hilarious because within seconds of losing one, they have a lead to another. (laughs) It's a weird scenario. Uh, I mean, Balma kind of made the mistake here of blowing up the, the Saiyan space pod. And then Krillin basically volunteers Balma to go with Mr. Popo to check out this other space pod. Because again, Balma's our techie person in the group. She's the only one who really understands this stuff. And so she gets on the carpet with what she deems the creepy genie guy. And they use the carpet to fly slash teleport halfway across the planet to Yunzabit Heights. Yes. And I should have said Yunzabit when I said the title, but I thought I was reading Japanese for a moment. And then, yeah. Uh, um. <clears throat> So, yeah, they fly off to this. I mean, it's cold, it's windy, it's overcast. It's a miserable place, and Balma's not happy about it. But we do get this interesting dialogue between Mr. Popo and Balma, where Popo kind of explains that this is where Kame spent his entire childhood. This is his childhood home, and all he really knows about it is that he had a note from what he presumed were his parents saying to wait there, that they would come back. And he spent his entire childhood waiting. I totally forgot about this. This is such an interesting beat to me, if only because I don't think this ever comes up again. Uh, Yes, I think that's correct. I can't think of any other time where this is referenced. No, like we, we don't really get Kami's backstory beyond that or who left the note. They kind of imply that it was... Kami's parents and then they never returned after 20 30 years but I'm I'm so curious I I want to know what happened <laughs> yeah it's definitely a loose end that's just remained loose for the entirety of Dragon Ball at this point that's crazy yeah I mean it's been the same story for a long time I'm pretty sure it's just never been opened back up but I mean we have some pretty cool Kame background that will never get explored and we have a spaceship <laughs> Uh, we learn that the the ship responds to the Namekian language and that speaking Piccolo will open and close the main door to the ship. Yeah, this is interesting. And then Popo kind of has the realization like, oh, if the language that Kami was speaking is Namekian, then I speak that too. So Balma and Popo kind of realize, oh, well, if you speak Namekian, you should be able to control the ship it's all verbally controlled and so they take the ship for a cruise to jupiter uh and this thing is fast they are from earth to jupiter in seconds and they basically bring the ship back and balma's like hey this is great you know you can go with us to to namek mr popo and popo's like 
Nah, bitch, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) He lives in that lookout. He does not leave that lookout. And the only reason he's involved is that this Namekian trip might be his only shot at getting his Kame back. So that's the only reason why he's involved. Yeah. I mean, I like that this shows how much Popo clearly cares about Kami, but he also cares about tending to the lookout in Kami's absence. And so the plan here is basically that Balma is going to have to learn Namekian real fast. (laughs) Yes. Or build a translator. I get confused about what actually happened later on, but... You know, for for now, that's the plan. Yeah, uh, she kind of brings up both ideas. But that basically takes us back to the hospital uh, where they're kind of figuring out, okay, we've got a spaceship. We kind of know how to pilot the ship. Now we need a team who's willing to go to Namek. And Goku is going to be out of commission for months, potentially. Uh, and so Krillin says, okay, well, you know, I'll go. This was my idea. I want to help our friends. So Krillin and Balma are on the team. And then Gohan speaks up and says, I want to go help the people who gave their lives to, to help us, to help keep us alive and make sure that we are here today. And he has a brief yelling fight with Chi Chi who is not willing to let her five or six year old son go out into space after being abducted by an alien for a year. (laughs) Well, Gohan in his, I guess his rebellious speech, he also expresses his care for, for Piccolo. And he says he wants to be there to see him come back. And so in this year that he was abducted, this was a very, important and influential year of Gohan's life. And it really shows the bond that he built up with Piccolo over that year. And I think this is a good growing moment for Gohan where he's starting to make his own decisions. He's starting to, to be his own character. He's not just being told what to do. And so this is a very important moment and you see him, he's almost like teared up and, He's clenching his fists and you can tell that just telling his mom, no, I'm going to do something different was like, it was a battle for him. I I think it's very well done. Yeah, it's it's great character development for him, right? Even especially at least in Kai in a very short period of time in terms of episodes. Of course, Gohan, this has been more than a year's time that we've seen Gohan from start of DBZ Kai to now. Uh, But he was a four-year-old boy, very timid, unwilling to fight, even just scared of meeting new people, scared of talking. And now he's making his own decisions, standing up against his mother's wishes. He's he's growing up real fast. So it's it's fun to see him grow and change like that. Yeah. And speaking of uh, DBZ Kai moving fast, uh, we're going to fast forward 10 days and our interstellar crew (laughs) are all meeting up at Kame House. Yeah, we get uh, we get our look at what is going to be the character designs for Gohan and Balma moving forward as they both get a haircut. Uh, <laughs> one looking a little bit better than the other, but uh, we also get Balma in kind of this goofy space suit, 
and everybody is getting onto the ship again, moving quick here to launch into space. And Balma uses the words, uh, uses some Namekian, and our crew is off on their way to Namek. Yeah, and Gohan was dropped off by Chi-Chi in this kind of nerdy, dressed-up, kind of choir boy-looking outfit. But as soon as they're on the ship and, and leaving, we see him train change clothes. He changes out of these kind of nerdy-looking clothes, and he changes into threads that match those of Piccolo's. So he's already kind of paying homage to his his late teacher. I think Krillin even makes a comment like, wow, you really you really like Piccolo, or you really care about Piccolo, too. Uh, which, again, like kind of like you said, Dayton, it's really they're really hitting home the point that the year Gohan spent with Piccolo, it changed him. It had a big influence on him and Gohan learned to really care about Piccolo, uh, even though Piccolo left him out in the wild to survive on his own and then beat the snot out of him. (laughs) Well, I think, and this, yeah, I'll make this argument. Piccolo, was Gohan's like first real actual friend, right? He was kind of homeschooled and kind of kept away from society. And so Piccolo was like his first real friend. And conversely, Gohan was probably the closest thing Piccolo's had to a real friend. Oh, I, I mean, Piccolo even says that, says as much in some of the, the previous episodes. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they they learned and grew together as people not only in a a fighting aspect but more in a more in a social aspect honestly more than anything yeah they they have some strange parallels a lot more in common than than you might think at surface level yeah absolutely and i think that kind of wraps up that episode on a really great note with gohan and brings us to the next one yes which is episode 19 a formidable new enemy Emperor of the Universe, Frieza. It blows my mind that we are 19 episodes in and Frieza is being brought up. This is wild to me, man. Like the the pacing of this, having watched Dragon Ball Z on Toonami as a kid, this is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's light speed. And we get some shots of space travel being boring. Um, But... Gohan and Krillin are making the best of it uh, by doing what they call image training. And I actually think this is kind of a cool idea. It's some sort of telepathic technique where you can mind fight each other if I'm understanding it correctly. It's such a weird, like the way that they described it in the original wasn't even, I don't even think it was telepathic necessarily. It, it It's so hard to determine if there's actual telepathy going on here because it's almost like, imagining a fight between two people and that's that's how you resolve the fight it's like it's like playing chess in your minds in a way it's just it's weird it's cool i like it a lot and i'm glad that they kept it in Um, is is there any like prior content that would make this idea i guess make sense like have we seen anything like this before I'm trying to think of anything and trying to connect it to anything in the past. And I really, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I mean, it's just one of those weird things, just like Goku being able to telepathically talk to people. This is kind of in that same vein of just like, well, that's cool. But where'd that come from? Yeah. 
I mean, there is a something to be said of like, if you know how a person fights and you know their techniques, you might in your head imagine what you would do or how a fight would go between the two of you. And I think that that's kind of all this is getting at. I mean, sure. I To me, it sounded like they were both in the same same image. Like they were actually, I don't know. I'm not going to look into it too much. It's a cool idea. I would like to see it explored more. Yeah, your interpretation is definitely sound for sure, because it seems like they're interfacing with one another. So I, I get what you mean. Um, but they they actually pass by the space travel in this shockingly quick. But we kind of transition to Vegeta making his way back to I forget if they said the planet, but it's basically a Frieza base uh, and Vegeta beaten and battered unconscious lands there as some of Frieza's men get him out of the Saiyan pod and put him into a healing chamber as he's the chamber is kind of filled with liquid and in short order Vegeta is healed and is released from the pod yeah we we see him recover in record time he gets new clothes new armor He's kind of put back into into fighting form at this point. Um, while he's traversing the hallways, we do see him kind of bump into somebody that he's not on friendly terms with, though. And I believe that this is Kui, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this is this is fun. I I love the interactions between Kui and Vegeta because they clearly have a sort of rivalry or a butting of heads, but Kui is kind of talking shit to Vegeta just being like well I guess Earth was more than you bargained for huh buddy and Vegeta is just not having it but Kui does drop some sweet sweet information as he lets Vegeta know that Frieza is headed to Namek for the Dragon Balls yeah Vegeta puts it together quickly upon hearing this information that Frieza's been listening in on their scouter comms this whole time and is filled in on the entire situation. And Vegeta hastily rushes out the door and jumps in his pod and sets a course to Namek. He's unwilling to let Lord Frieza use the Dragon Balls ahead of him. And so now there's this kind of race happening between Vegeta, Frieza, and our heroes who are currently on their way to Namek. There's kind of this gold rush to Namek. Yeah, absolutely. I think Kui also kind of lets on that Frieza's wish or the wish that he wants granted is immortality, much like Vegeta. I mean, this is kind of like we're getting the feeling that the bad guys all want to live forever here. <laughs> Everybody um, wants it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't blame him, but we kind of cut back over to the hospital and we see Goku in full bandage casts and everything training, doing sit ups. Uh, and there's I love this, by the way, I love seeing it's so awkward seeing Goku in a hospital and he just it's a perfect situation. Like he needs to be patient. He needs to relax. And he is neither of those things. It is. Gr I mean, this is like you said, this is perfect characterization for Goku. He's I mean, for him to just sit there and wait and rest and 
do nothing. That is not a Goku thing to do. Uh, there's a brief interaction. The only reason I even want to bring this up uh, is because there was a funny nickname given to Master Roshi here. As <laughs> I didn't as, take notes on this, but yeah. Oh my God. As he's interacting with the nurses and kind of cops the feel. And then the doctor comes in and starts harassing or well, poking fun at Roshi, uh, calling him grandpa happy hands. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, <laughs> it makes me cringe as much as it makes me laugh. I know. I like the interaction makes me cringe, but calling Roshi that I just, I got a good chuckle out of it. <laughs> We're being PC here. Okay. That's what we have to call him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, 34 days have now passed because we're in Kai and time doesn't happen normally. And our space team has finally arrived at their destination, planet Namek. Gohan and Krillin exit the ship before Bomba can check if there's air, which I love this. Uh, and the first thing that happens is they sense insane power levels all over this planet. This place is a hot spot. So I, I have to say, because we skipped a vast amount of filler getting to Namek. This is, this is not fake Namek. This is not, I was wondering if we were going to stop there or not. I know. Right. Like I, I waited. I was like, is it going to be fake Namek? Is it, is it going to be, am I going to get tricked? What's happening here? <laughs> uh, but no, we skipped a ton, a ton of awful filler and I'm super ex- excited about it. Uh, it feels weird to get to Namek this fast, but I'm all for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, this is where the good stuff really starts happening. And I mean, I'm glad we're getting right to it. Like I said, there's still some areas in Kai where I wish they would slow it down for like the somber moments or some of the character building moments. But if I have to skip some of that to get past, God, 20 episodes of filler, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm totally down for it. But our our heroes do feel a number of high power levels as Dayton said uh they also see a saiyan space pod flying into the scene in the distance and landing on namek and they assume correctly that it is vegeta though they're shocked as to how vegeta could be healed and back in action this quickly yeah and they're they know things are bad and they're trying to get together a plan. They're going to have Bulma radio back it, radio back for help or go for help or just do something because they can't deal with the situation while Krillin and Gohan kind of go scout things out and see if there's any opportunity for them. But we're left at the end of this episode with our first shot of Lord Frieza, the bane of the universe, pulling and collecting Dragon Balls from this small village of dead Namekians. Just this gruesome shot of these Namekians just pulled out of their homes, laid down on the street, dead, assumably, not street, grass, and just Frieza cackling. And that's like our final shot of the episode. Yeah. The only thing I will say is that is a detriment to the speed at which we're going. Like I know you, you've mentioned, and I agree with you that the somber moments don't get enough room to breathe in Dragon Ball Z Kai. One of the things here in this moment that I did not like about the speed of Kai is that I remember as a child, the, the mystique of 
Emperor Frieza and the the power and the fear instilled in all of the people who know of Frieza was really it was really built up. And I, as a a viewer, as a child, I felt that fear and I felt that awe when they revealed Frieza on the screen. I didn't get that same feeling with Frieza. And of course, I'm saying this as an adult and as somebody who's watched it before, but I still feel like it didn't have that time to really build up that that expectation of Frieza. I agree. The the revealing Kai doesn't it doesn't hit quite as good as it did in DBZ. I mean, 20 episodes of filler to build up to it probably helps. But <laughs> I mean, it's I will say, though, um, they do a good job of making you wait to see what Frieza is, though, in Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Kai. So it's you're right. The reveal isn't as awesome as it should be, but I think it's such a good story that you still get some reveals with Frieza later on down the road that I think are worth it. I still think it's, it does take away not having that big reveal like we did with Z, but I, I do think it's something that because the show is told, the story's told so well, it recovers from it just beautifully with other reveals. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, it'll, it'll definitely, I, I think it's still going to be good moving forward, but I think we kind of end on that reveal of Frieza on that episode, moving into the next episode. Yes, which is episode 20, Rebellion Against Frieza, Vegeta, Burning with Ambition. And we get some shots of Frieza handing over a Dragon Ball to his henchman, Dodoria, which is this large, portly, pink alien with spikes for hair. And Zarbon, this tall, pretty-looking green alien thing with flowing hair. So we've got two very different henchmen standing, like, at either flank of Frieza, which is hilarious. I love the comparison between the two henchmen. And we also learn that Frieza currently has four of these seven Dragon Balls already. Yeah, that's a lot. And, I mean, this is something that Akira Toriyama loves to do. He loves to introduce characters in pairs and he loves them to be vastly different from one another. I mean, even just having gone through the Saiyan arc, Vegeta and Nappa are, while both Saiyans, Nappa is tall, broad, bald, hulking, muscular, and I mean, kind of treated as a little bit dumb. Whereas Vegeta is small, vast mound of troll hair, uh, very intelligent in terms of at least at the very least in terms of fighting uh, and just intimidating and similar to Zarbon and Dodoria, especially at first glance, you're like, these two are, could not be more different from one another. Yeah, it's and I mean, I feel like Z introduces so many characters that just the first time I saw them, they were ingrained into my brain. I remember Zarbon and Dodoria so well and watching through again, I'm just like these, yep, these are the exact characters that I remember. I can't believe I have such vivid pictures of them in my head when, I mean, gosh, I guess we did spend probably a lot more time with them in Z now that I think about it. Um, but just the pacing of Kai, it, it I mean, it's intense, but yeah, it's it's good to see these characters. 
And I think uh I think from here we get some more Gohan Krillin and Bulma action, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The the interesting part here is that Zarbon sends men after two high power levels that he kind of detected on his scouter, which we kind of presume to be Gohan and Krillin. And so that turns into these two goons of Frieza's happening upon our heroes and finding their ship as well as them. And in in coming upon them, these two Frieza goons, they're, they get a, a false reading on Gohan and Krillin because they've suppressed their power levels. So they're like, ah, these guys will be easy to take care of, but let's make sure that they can't go anywhere and they blast their ship i honestly forgot that this happened in original z that they were actually stranded on namek now mind you i think they had enough reason to stay without their spaceship getting blasted but it's that there's no return sort of feeling that they have now there's they have to fight their way out of here because they don't have any other option i mean even right before this they were they the plan was to send balma back they basically were like, hey, Balma, you're not going to be much help here. There's a bunch of scary people here. We need you to go get reinforcements. Go get Goku. Go get, you know, whomever else you can bring with you. Uh, but this trip took them 34 days. That's going to be another 70 days before Balma comes back with help. Uh, that's a long time. Yeah. Part of me just thinks it, it was a way to get Balma kind of a civilian really in this war zone kind of out of the picture that that was kind of my thought on that yeah yeah that makes sense but as a result of their ship getting blasted balma is trapped here now and gohan and krillin kick into action as they increase their power levels and with a single hit to each of these goons dispatch them uh without hardly any effort gohan really i mean this is an interesting moment, actually, for Gohan, even though it's very low key, because this is the first moment where we see Gohan being like competent as a fighter. Yeah, when he did battle with the Saiyans, he spent the entire or the majority of the fight kind of cowering and being unsure and not really having the like his own agency. He wasn't able to move on his own. But now we see him leaping into action and kind of able to make his own decisions and not hesitate. So this is one of the first times we've seen Gohan not only be able to move, but also move confidently. And it's another it's another uh, sign of Gohan progressing, evolving, becoming a, his own character. And I like that. Yeah, I, I feel like we're going to keep pointing out these moments of Gohan's story arc because his is this is very good and we get a lot of good character development from him throughout Dragon Ball Z. But with these goons of Frieza taken out, we kind of shift gears here. Uh, at, well, Zarbon kind of gets a reading on Gohan and Krillin as they had to raise their powers to, to dispatch these guys. Uh, they, they get read as, roughly 1500 on the power level scale uh for each of them which, which if we remember 
when Raditz first arrived, I believe Goku and Piccolo were around 400-ish, 500-ish. It was, yeah, a little bit over 300. It was like 330 and 320 or something. And so these power levels are, are, we're seeing it. We're seeing this roller coaster, this just starting to, starting to crest over the hill here. Oh, and it's about to get even crazier (laughs) because Kui has followed Vegeta. Uh, Kui lands on planet Namek in his own space pod and Kui now decides that he's going to approach Vegeta and try to take him out. Uh, we kind of get the impression that he's been ordered to do so. The order has come down from Frieza or Zarbon. I mean, How- Kui's not exactly lamenting it, though. He's he's not exactly upset that he has to kill Vegeta. Oh, no. Yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely on board. <laughs> However, Vegeta has picked up a few tricks on Earth. One of those tricks being how to hide his power level. And he powers up to give a reading on the scouters of 24,000. Yeah, and there's even a glorious shot of one of the scouters exploding from the number being just so big, which is one of my favorite things. But... After seeing this level of power come from Vegeta, Kui knows he's in a bad spot and he begins begging for his life, but Vegeta's not listening to a word of it. And kind of being pushed back against the wall, Kui points out and says, look, Frieza, you're here. I can't believe it. And when Vegeta turns around, Kui launches this sneaky, sneaky, scummy attack, blasting everything in front of him. I love this. I love the fucking, hey, look over there. (laughs) Oldest trick in the book. Yeah, this is great. But even Kui's most powerful blast here is not enough to dispatch Vegeta. Vegeta actually ends up dodging it, uh, kind of boasting about how fast he's gotten with his increase in power. And then Vegeta quickly punches a hole deep through Kui's abdomen and then launches him up into the air and blasts him out. This is Vegeta's signature dirty fireworks. I love this move. This is great. I mean, this is this is Vegeta's move, right? Like grab your dude, throw him into the air, explode him. It's I love it. That's Vegeta's move. Yeah, I mean, we saw it with Napo. We've seen it with Kui, and I don't think it's going to be the last time that we see it either. Probably not. (laughs) But with Kui out of the picture, Vegeta kind of reveals his plan, and he's going to locate just one of the Dragon Balls and then figure out a way to steal the other six because Frieza can't make a wish without all seven. I mean, it's smart, right? He's If he's outmatched in terms of power, outmatched in terms of numbers... I mean, grab a Dragon Ball, hide it. At least Frieza can't can't get his wish without all seven. So we I'll also say, at bare minimum, you're you're bringing the game to a draw, right? No one can make their wish. So I don't lose. I don't need to win right now. I just need to not lose. Yeah. And this this kind of continues where we're we're seeing how crafty Vegeta is. And we kind of move forward as we get Krillin and crew finding what's going to be their hideout for a good portion of their stay on Namek, just a, a big cave in the rock. Uh, and as they find this hideout, 
none other than Frieza and his retinue fly past uh, the cave. Gohan and Krillin kind of cowering in fear as Balma's like, guys, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, they they kind of shy away and almost, I mean, they're in complete awe of the power levels that just flew by them. But they also realize that they were carrying Dragon Balls with them, likely. And they have Bulma confirm it for them. And this pretty much confirms that they're on their way to another village or on their way to another location to find more Dragon Balls. Yeah. And this is when Krillin and Gohan decide we got to go, we got to scope out the situation. And so they go in. Krillin's lovingly defined stealth mode and they kind of make their way over to what is what they're going to find to be this Namekian village uh but before we kind of wrap up the episode we cut back to earth at the hospital where Goku gets beamed yeah buddy yeah Goku gets beamed he also gets an update on the the Namek situation he is aware of Vegeta and uh, the Lord of the universe or whatever, uh, and just how bad things look. And we also know that Goku was given a bag of seven sensu beans. So there's kind of a limited number. So he'll be taking six with him to Namek. Yeah. And that's, I mean, obviously going to be important later. We do also move to, the the catalyst for Goku getting to Namek as he arrives at Capsule Corp and he already spoke with Dr. Briefs, Balma's father, to have him rig up a a spaceship, or at least he he brings it up that he had him rig up a spaceship uh based on the ship that Goku originally arrived on planet Earth in. And I yeah. think that kind of moves us to the next one. Yeah, that's that's all it took to get through episode 20. Oh my God, there's so much in there. It's a lot. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but that moves us into episode 21, which is protect the Dragon Balls, the Namekian offensive. And we get Goku arriving at the Briefs family home. He's greeted by Bulma's flirty mom who i think she was flirting with him certainly seemed like it to me <laughs> it felt that way i mean maybe they got an open relationship i don't know what's going on there <laughs> I, I also love that he greeted uh mrs briefs by going hi balma's mom i just i don't know why it made me laugh so hard i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty sure he also only refers to dr briefs as balma's dad <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's such a simpleton view on these things and it works so well I love it I also want to point out too I and I think I, I'm saying Dr. Briefs and we're talking about Mrs. Briefs the dub especially the original Dragon Ball Z dub kind of has messed up people's perception of Balma's family name uh, I don't think that there actually is a family name <laughs> I think Dr. I think Brief or Briefs is supposed to be Balma's father's first name. Uh, Balma, oh, God. It's a fucking nightmare. Uh, but the dub has really messed it up. So if we've messed that up, sorry. 
it, it's a whole mess with that family name. So <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> anyway, so I'm going to start referring to them as Balma's mom and Balma's dad. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Goku's led to his fancy new spaceship, but it's not finished because it doesn't have stereo speakers mounted yet. I'm sorry. This was not as funny as the coffee machine. I thought it fell flat. Oh, shit. I was trying to remember what it was in the original. I'm glad that you remembered it was the coffee machine. Yeah, he's going to want that hot <laughs> cup of gel once he, get up, once he gets up there. I forgot about that. I, I'll i give you that. I, I still enjoyed the speaker thing. I like that it's, regardless, it's something goofy and something inconsequential, right? Mm. But, but yeah, I think the coffee machine is a, is a better gag. <laughs> I just don't know where I'm going to put the coffee machine. I don't know why. It just makes me laugh. Also, as somebody who... <laughs> Uh, did surround sound in his living room. Mounting speakers is that's not light work. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. You know? That's what Doctor Brees said. It's no joke, man. You got to figure that shit out. Exactly. That's why I didn't laugh as hard. But <laughs> Goku opts to leave without the speakers, and Goku begins his six day journey to planet Namek. So he's getting there in like a quarter of the time as the original crew. Yeah, that's impressive work for Dr. Briefs, who up to this point had never made a spaceship before, but could certainly reverse engineer one. So (laughs) props to you. I just like the hand wavery of they're the richest, smartest family in the world. And then things just happen. Hey, man, they made capsules that. Uh, it's a fucking void space. I, it's like a bag of holding from d and <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> That's true. That is magic. Speaking of magic, Goku immediately begins his training by cranking that bad boy up to 20 times gravity on the first day. I love that he's like, ah, well, King Kai's planet was 10 times Earth's gravity. 20 should be good to start. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that he like squats down from the weight of it and does this like bent knee, like really just haggard, just like trudging along the ground. Uh, I love Dragon Ball training, even though that would just not help you at all. I love it. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> realistically, definitely not would probably crush you to death, but <laughs> it's fun in this instance. Uh, which we do kind of at that point cut back to Namek and we do see the Namekian village where Krillin and Gohan at this point have snuck up to take their perch as a couple of space ducks uh, watching Frieza and his men now threaten these Namekians to give them the Dragon Ball. Yeah, they're all led outside of their homes and we get the village elder being kind of questioned about it. It's just him and a couple old people and a couple kids at this point. And I mean, they're not cooperating. And this is where Zarbon steps in and he immediately strikes down two of the older Namekians in cold blood in front of everybody. And next up is the children, according to them. Yeah, and Zarbon does this shit with style, too, because he's carrying these two giant Dragon Balls under his arms. And so he leaps into action, only using his feet to start. And then when he decides he wants to use one of his hands, he throws the Dragon Ball up into the air, whoops their asses, and then catches the Dragon Ball again. (laughs) Oh, yeah, so good. Oh, and a little hair flip at the end just for style. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So things are looking real bad, but before any kids can be destroyed, 
we get three Namekians, younger Namekians, arriving unseen, and they are just enraged at the death of their fellow vi- villagers. Um, but this is also where things get interesting as well, because they do a read on their power levels, and they're only showing up as around 1,500, 1,000-ish. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, we kind of, I don't think that they cover it here very well, but a lot of Frieza's henchmen are in that ballpark, maybe a thousand. Uh, And so to them, they're like, oh, well, you know, this shouldn't be any big deal. But I think they're going to find out slightly differently here as uh, actually, I can't remember if the fight is in this episode or the next one. (laughs) We do get some of the fight in this episode. It's actually pretty quick, but there's a little montage of Frieza's henchmen just getting smacked around. And it's actually a very well done montage. I'm very happy with it. There's cool little scenes of dodging key blasts and stuff like that. It's animated well. It's not interesting fighting, but it's fun. It's junk food. It's the best kind of junk food. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think at the tail end of the episode here is where our village elder, Mori, kind of catches on to the scouter situation as Frieza's men are using the scouters to sense power levels And he he kind of puts two and two together, understanding now that the scouters are how Frieza's men are finding the Namekian villages and collecting the Dragon Balls so fast. So Mori then leaps into action, moving the children behind him and fires off these what would otherwise be inconsequential key blasts but destroying the three remaining scouters that are in play here, one on Dodoria and then two on some of the fallen Frieza's soldiers, uh, really being quite the badass in this moment. Yeah, and it's at this point that Frieza catches on to it and basically lets Dodoria know he was stupid for letting him do that. And Dodoria gets pissed off and his fury's kind of on display as he charges towards the village elder. And that's the end of that episode, which leads us into episode 22. Dodoria in terrifying hot pursuit, Vegeta learns the truth. And we pick right back up with that charge, but it's called off immediately by Frieza. Yeah, Frieza yells at Dodoria and says, we can take care of the old man at any time. I want you to take care of those warriors who are whooping our men's asses right now. (laughs) I'm losing servants. Could you do something about it? That's right. (laughs) And this is, I mean, again, like you said about the last fight, Dayton, whereas the last fight is, it's brief, but fun to watch. This one takes these Namekian warriors who are, in this moment, they seem like they have the upper hand. Until Dodoria jumps in and dispatches them with ease. One of the first moves is just Dodoria moving behind the Namekian and thrusting his arm through the Namekian's abdomen and killing him on the spot. Yeah, it's kind of gruesome and gory and bloody as the Namekian slowly falls to his knees and to the ground dead. We see another one trying to evade Dodoria as he blasts him with a key blast, charring his skin and setting him sizzling down to the ground. And then the third one gets a vicious, vicious headbutt. 
and is just kind of crushed into a cliff face. It's it's pretty bad. And this is uh, something uh, we've talked about this many times. Something that Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z love to do is setting up those yardsticks, those measuring sticks for our just for all the characters, honestly. So we got to see we we now have an understanding of how powerful Frieza's henchmen are, uh, the the lower level henchmen. They got beat up by the Namekians. The Namekians now are getting beat up by Frieza's right and left hand men. Uh, And so we now have this sort of like ingrained fear or concern about how powerful Dodoria and Zarbon are. Uh, and it's it's a good way to kind of do that organically. I mean, it's you're trying to also keep in mind that um, we've also had Piccolo and Kame who are Namekians and they're kind of unnaturally strong, right, compared to Earthlings. And so we kind of get to see that the the Namekian race is just that way. They're all actually fairly strong. And we get to see that on display as they dispatch all the lower class warriors. But now we know what Dodoria is. And speaking of Dodoria, he just wiped out pretty much all the Namekians except for the children and the elder. And the elders forced to negotiate for the sake of these kids. And that body count is going to change pretty rapidly here because the elder Mori is willing to give up the Dragon Ball if only to save the children, basically saying, okay, if you don't harm the children, I'll give you the ball. And so Mori gives up the fifth Dragon Ball at this point to Frieza. And then Frieza gives the order to kill them uh, as Dodoria leaps in and swiftly snaps Mori's neck. Actually, I forgot. First... It's the child, Cargo, gets blasted with a key blast from Dodoria's mouth. And then, after Mori watches this Namekian child get murdered, he gets his neck snapped. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. And we get the scene of the, the final child kind of being lined up to meet his face, fate. But that's when we see the unlikely... I guess, hero of Gohan losing his cool, charging in and hitting Dodoria with a heavy blow to the side of his head, sending him flying. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I, Dodoria kind of gets knocked into one of the Namekian buildings. Gohan's full on ready to beat some ass. He's ready to fight these, these Goliaths in terms of power level. Uh, however, Krillin leaps in Similarly, kicking Dodoria to the curb, which I thought was just hilarious. And uh, Krillin's like, the fuck are you doing? You're trying to get us both killed? He grabs the Namekian child and then flies off and tells Gohan to fucking follow suit. Yeah, he's screaming at Gohan that they need to get the hell out. And Dodoria, once again, feeling kind of embarrassed and outdone. He gets the order from Frieza to, you know, take care of this mess, clean up after yourself sort of thing. And he goes flying off after him. And we know how powerful Dodoria is. And we get to see that here. He's catching up to them. He's firing these barrages of key blasts as, as they're trying to fly away and it nearly takes them out. And we get to see, and I love this Krillin go, Hey, I've got an idea. 
and whip around and pull out the good old fashioned solar flare to buy them a little bit of time. Oh, I love it. Yeah, this is great. I Krillin being a fucking boss here. Uh, there's even a moment too where Dodoria lands one of the key blasts as he's firing at them and they're kind of dodging away and it grazes Krillin's arm. And so he drops the Namekian child and Gohan catches him. Uh, this is, this is a great little action sequence. It's also just something to note here. Uh, we're calling it the solar flare and I, I, I like the solar flare name for this technique, but they continue to use the original Japanese names for the techniques and they call it the Taioken. Uh, I I'm still torn on how I feel about them using the original Japanese names. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd prefer the dub names or the Japanese names. Yeah, it's I mean, I've already said my piece. I prefer the dub names because I have memories tied to them, whereas the Japanese names I've got. Well, they just sound like Jap Japanese stuff, so that doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Yeah. But that does allow them to escape Dodoria in this moment. They end up flying down into the into the landscape and kind of finding a place to hide. And so Dodoria, after getting his senses back, is like. I don't know where they went. What if I just blast the whole fucking area? <laughs> yeah. Dodoria being just the iconic goon of the group. The I don't have a lot of brains, but I've got a lot of bronze. And he just, he nukes the entire area. But our heroes are able to kind of barely escape the blast flying high up in the air where they evade Dodoria, who does not have a scouter and cannot sense energy. And so he assumes that the job's done and he can go back home. Yeah, this is cool. I, I actually like how Gohan and Krillin get out of the situation. I like the solar flare. I like them flying up into the air and just kind of staying in Dodoria's blind spot because he can't sense energy. It's it's all a really well done sequence. Yeah, and it's there's this certain tension that's in the air on Namek, right? It's you are the small fish in a big pond. And I like that that constant feeling isn't it isn't thrown away. You're always looking for the next escape. You're looking for the next way out. They can't fight their way out of here. They're not Goku. They're not a main character. They could die. And that tension, it's just I mean, I love it. I think it's exciting. I very much agree with you. And we kind of move to uh Dodoria flying back to Frieza and getting sucker punched in the air by Vegeta and they they end up having a bit of a dialogue here as Vegeta kind of took this moment to catch Dodoria by himself but Dodoria's still kind of treating this like Dodoria is the more powerful of the two he sees Vegeta with the scouter and he says I'll forgive you sucker punching me if you give me that scouter. We need it to find the Dragon Balls. Yeah, and it's it's showing Dodoria's desperation, or I mean Frieza's entire party's desperation at this point to get their hands on one of those, because otherwise they're blind. They can't find the Dragon Balls. Well, Vegeta, not missing a chance to be, well, kind of a dick, takes the scouter and kind of tosses it over towards Dodoria. And Dodoria's like, thanks. Like, I, I'm glad you could be reasonable. And then Vegeta steps on it and slowly crushes it right before Dodoria's eyes. I love 
Vegeta just flexing like that, just being an absolute turd. Oh, yeah, this is great. I and I think we kind of glossed over the fact that when Zarbon and Dodoria, when they got the reading on Vegeta's power level, when Vegeta killed Kui, they got the reading at 24,000. But both Dodoria and Zarbon said that can't be right. That would mean that Vegeta is stronger than both of us. So we as the audience know that that reading was probably accurate. So we know Vegeta probably has the upper hand here. Uh, and and Dodoria is sweating right now, too. Dodoria is aware of how bad the situation is. I mean, you, you get the feeling that both of these characters know who the stronger one is here, right? Because Vegeta's acting cocky and Dodoria is acting scared while trying to remain cocky. Uh, or at least trying to hide his fear and act as if he's got the upper hand. Yeah, and this is also where Dodoria alludes to the Earthlings being on this planet in reference to the situation that literally just happened moments earlier. Yeah, and this is news to Vegeta, right? Because Vegeta hasn't run into Gohan or Krillin. I mean, Vegeta... It was maybe a month ago that Vegeta got his butt handed to him, kind of, by <laughs> Gohan and Krillin, and the inverse, I suppose. Uh, so Vegeta's like, Earthlings, they can't be here. But if they are, I'm going to find them, and I'm going to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> so we get some some muscle flexing at this point, and some insults being thrown around. Um, but Dodoria knows that he's just, he's outmatched. He does not want this. And we get to see the Dragon Ball classic panic key attack where he just starts launching them. Just blow everything up. Hope it works. Daka, 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 daka. Mm -hmm. I love this. And, uh, uh you want to know what? It didn't work. work. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it always doesn't. It didn't work. And we see Dodoria kind of grabbed by the arms and they're pulled back behind his back and he's in this really awkward kind of double arm bar situation where he's now pleading for his life. Yeah, and in doing so, Dodoria says, if you let me go, I'll tell you the truth about planet Vegeta. And Vegeta kind of, it piques his interest. So he does, in fact, let Dodoria go. And Dodoria is true to his word. He says, your planet wasn't destroyed by a meteor. Your planet was destroyed by Frieza because Frieza was afraid of Saiyans working together and a, a number of them being strong enough to cause a problem for Frieza. And so he blew them all up. You know, when this reveal happened when I was young, my mind was blown. When this reveal happened at the start of the first episode of DBZ Kai, my mind was blown, but for a different reason. <laughs> this whole reveal should mean so much, but it means, I don't know. I still think Kai kind of flopped this. I, you know, there's a part of me that forgot, like, how this kind of plays out long term. And like when we saw this at the very beginning, I was like, yeah, I could kind of see them giving us that that backstory. But then I forgot that this was like 
a big reveal to not only Vegeta, but also the audience here. And so it does. It it really falls flat. It feels weird that they gave us that scene of the, the Bardock special and Frieza destroying planet Vegeta in the first two minutes of the show. I knew that two minutes in, you guys could have cut that out. What are you doing, Kai? Yeah. I don't even think like, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't even set up the backstory that Vegeta believed that his home was blown up by a meteor. I don't think they covered that at all. Not really. Not that I can really think about It's. I know it was mentioned, but I, I don't know if there was much else other than a mention about it at some point. I don't think, I don't think it's really talked about. You're right. Yeah. So it, it, it just feels, it, it falls flat. It feels like it's, it feels weird. It feels weirdly placed, but the good thing is Vegeta doesn't give a fuck. He's like, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have killed your asses sooner. And then he murders Dodori. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's the Vegeta move, guy flying through the air, hit by a key blast, evaporated. I love it. The only time, the only difference this time, though, is that Vegeta didn't throw him. So it's kind of a twist on it, but it's still that classic Vegeta kill that you know and love. Classic Vegeta with a twist. Yes. <laughs> Some extra flavor. That's but right. that wraps up that episode, which brings us into episode 23. Vegeta's secret maneuvering, the Namekians are tragically attacked. And Vegeta just zooms off after dispatching Dodoria as our heroes sense his energy and dive for cover. And yeah, Vegeta's right on their tail. But because they're masking their energy and Vegeta now has the newly acquired ability to sense power levels... He's unable to get a good reading because he's so new to the ability. I love this. I love getting to see Vegeta. I mean, Vegeta knows that people can sense energy and Vegeta's Vegeta's kind of pulling a Goku here. Uh, They're both kind of like fighting savants, but Vegeta is just like, well, if those guys can do it, I can do it. And he just wills himself to do it, but he's also still figuring out how it works exactly. Uh, but he does still. He manages to hone in on Krillin and Gohan who have to hide their power levels and Vegeta still even then because this Namekian child is with them and doesn't know how to hide his power level. Vegeta senses the Namekian child and is just about to spot them when somebody else or some, something else saves their butts in this moment. Yeah. There's this moment where it's fight or flight. And as they go to step out, a giant fish leaps from the water. And this is enough for Vegeta to go, Oh, I was just sensing a fish. I'll go back about my day. And I had to laugh because I would imagine that if you're sensing power and especially if you're new to it, you might actually mistake a fish for for somebody else's power level. You probably don't know the difference. It's interesting too, right? Because at first he's like, ah, maybe it was a of a, a larger power. Uh and this this is not just a fish. This is not like a fucking goldfish or a guppy. This is like a giant whale of a fish. <laughs> uh so I, I imagine a big creature like that probably sits higher on the power level scale than like a, you know, like a little guppy or something. Yeah. I I also do when, when Vegeta finally kind of flies away, 
I did kind of feel myself like loosen up a little bit. They do such a good job of building tension up right now, especially with Goku not on the scene. And you know, these, these behemoths are just running around butchering everything, including each other. Like the chaos is palpable. I mean, it's just so fun to watch. It's one of the great things about the Namek arc in general. It's, it's a great use of our side characters. Uh, And I, and I mean, you know, Krillin's been with the cast for a very long time, and Gohan is obviously taking a pretty center stage role, but they are no Goku. They are much weaker. And so it's a really good way to get them involved and make the story engaging and feel the tension. Yeah. And with Vegeta kind of, you know, leaving and now we can all breathe, uh, Gohan Krillin and our little Namekian friend, they make their way back to Bulma, who breaks the good news that Goku is on the way. Yeah, and I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, Goku's hopefully going to come and save the day here. But we kind of move from there to Vegeta now trying to use his new energy sensing ability to track down the Namekians. He finds his way to one of the villages that Frieza has not visited yet. And Vegeta starts making threats to give him the Dragon Ball or die. Well, these threats are fulfilled when Vegeta starts just butchering the village. And we actually get our our heroes, Krillin and Gohan, kind of sensing this slaughter happening as all the power levels that were once sensed in this area, they start feeling them kind of fading away and dropping off one by one as it's a great way to kind of describe the scene that's happening without actually showing it. I think it's kind of cleverly done. That's a really good point. I really like the scene too. And one more time with Kai, really nailing the music in this scene too, because it's, it's very sad music. And we kind of get to see the young Namekian who reveals himself to be Dende, uh, kind of lamenting the, the mass murder of his people. And we move forward a little bit as Dende begins to explain. I honestly, I would have, I would have even skipped over this, but Dende explains a little bit about the the planet Namek and the trees and these trees that have these beautiful flowers and how many of them died out uh, and they're trying to kind of save and salvage them. And they're called the Ajisa trees. The only reason I wanted to bring this up at all, because it's very forgettable is because in Dragon Ball Super Superhero, the movie, when Piccolo transforms into Orange Piccolo, his gi gets this symbol on it of a tree, and it is the Ajisa trees from Namek. And I love the tie-in to that. It's fantastic. Okay, I know I know we're nerding out over here, but holy crap, that was a nerd detail. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that that is like hardcore nerd dbz lore right there <laughs> i mean i love it that's that's attention to detail right there but yeah yeah i'll have to rewatch uh the superhero movie and uh look for that 
I will send you a clip of just like the tree farming on his back because it's <laughs> it's cool. It's it's I love that attention to detail. I mean, admittedly, those those Namekian uh, trees, they are super iconic, right? It's if I saw a picture of one of those, I would immediately think of Namek. It's just one of those things where it's there's so much imagery and story tied to it that, yeah, that is a pretty important symbol in the Dragon Ball universe. There's I mean, the unfortunate part about Dragon Ball is that as we get into space, some of the some of the world building or some of the universe building is not very extensive. Like the Namekians, I'll be honest, the Namekians feel kind of flat and strange in terms of their livelihood a little bit on Namek. And so getting at least little details like the Ajisa trees and little details about their history. It's fun when we do get that, those little bits of world building. Yeah, it is nice. And I, I suppose what the Namekians too is we need to remember that they were basically wiped down to a single Namekian and rebuilt back up from there. There's only, I think they said about a hundred Namekians altogether. So right. they're kind of starting from square one, building their culture and their, their villages and they're building everything back up. So I actually don't mind them being a little plain Jane because they're like, they're re they just restarted. They're kind of getting everything back in order. Um, I mean, shoot King Kai really had to look for them just to make sure they weren't all wiped out because it's like they were presumed dead. Yeah. Those are good points. At the, even if there's not a lot to the lore for Namekians or even their like, their lives and everything going on. At least there are reasons for it in the actual world. So that's that's a good point to bring up. Oh yeah, and I'm I would of course take more. I would love for them to have a more fleshed out culture, but Dragon Ball in general usually doesn't go very in depth on most cultures or areas or any place they go. It's usually one or two levels of, you know, these people do this also snow. Like that sort of thing. That's as deep as they usually get. Yeah, it's it's not a, a lot of vast culture when it comes to the Dragon Ball universe, which is which is fine. That's not always what we're here for. I mean, honestly, uh, the like Frieza's empire is one of the most fleshed out things they've done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because it continues to get fleshed out in modern Dragon Ball, like with uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly, uh, and so they they keep kind of expanding on Frieza's empire and how it works. And I think that part's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun too, but we have to continue. And <laughs> I mean, with the Namekian village pretty much killed off, Vegeta gets his hands on a dragon ball. And we also get a scene of Zarbon and the remaining henchmen splitting up to do their search while Frieza heads back to the ship with the five Dragon Balls that he's found. But Frieza also suspects that Vegeta's handiwork is at play right now. So we kind of get these competing forces that are, you know, starting to figure each other out, right? Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, we we do find uh, well, we're we the audience are given the information that Vegeta has hidden the Dragon Ball in the lake. Uh, again, Vegeta's goal here is just to, to keep Frieza from getting all seven and making his wish, at least 
presently. And, and then I think I glossed over this or didn't mention it, but the last thing is that Dende mentions that they need to go see the Grand Elder of their planet. And so uh, Krillin, I believe, agrees to go with Dende to see the Grand Elder while Gohan and Balma hunker down. Yeah, and that's going to be kind of an important detail moving forward. But I think that pretty much takes us to the last episode that we're going to be covering tonight. Yes, which is episode 24, Resurrected Comrades, The Handsome Warrior Zarbon's Devilish Transformation. That is a fantastic title, and I love it. It's great. It's great. It's just a touch spoilery, but not as spoilery as some of the other episode titles. (laughs) It's not the worst one. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, exactly. But we get to see... Goku continuing his training as he conquers 20 times gravity. And while this is happening, we get a call from King Kai coming in and we find out that Yamcha, Tien and Chaozu and Piccolo are all trading with the king, which is kind of cool. It's everyone following in Goku's steps. Yeah, I mean, King Kai even goes so far as to say these guys beat your record making it here on Snake Way. So, uh, Which makes sense. I was actually thinking about like their power levels relative because Goku's power level was like 330. And then these guys are all sitting in like the 1000 to 2000 range somewhere in there. Uh, So, yeah, obviously they they would have been able to make it there faster. Um, Yeah, that checks out. And um, it's I mean, it's kind of cool. We get to see. And I think. um uh, Sean Chamel does a really good job of having that like excitement that it being ecstatic to talk to like all of his old, old friends at this, this point, he's known all of these guys for years and just hearing Yamcha's voice and TN. I like that Goku's happy to hear from his deceased friends. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's, this is a good moment to kind of <clears throat> for, the show to kind of slow down a little bit just to get those kind of like friend interactions. And however, Goku's kind of giving, giving his friends who have been dead, some of the, the story that's going on in the living world as he reveals, Hey, Gohan and Krillin are on Namek. They're trying to resurrect you guys. They're trying to find some, some more dragon balls. However, they're running into a snag as there's this really powerful guy there uh, with a bunch of other guys who are wearing the same sort of armor as Vegeta. And that's when King Kai is like, wait a second, you're not talking about Frieza, are you? (laughs) Yeah, and this is where King Kai gets deadly serious after more or less confirming that it's Frieza. He issues a warning to Goku. He tells Goku to stay clear, Frieza, and to get his friends the hell off that planet. And, I mean, this is the most serious I've seen King Kai. And Goku's like, well, I mean, can't I just get a look at him? Can't I just say hi? And, you know, Goku's not really wanting to avoid this this immensely powerful threat. And to make things worse, uh, Piccolo kind of pipes in and tells Goku to do what he wants. So yeah, chaos is about to happen. I love this scene, partly because like you said, Dayton, with Sean Schemmel as Goku really doing a great job of being very playful here, but we've got Sean Schemmel talking to himself (laughs) as King Kai 
and playing the role of the the mentor who is afraid for his his student's life. He's screaming at Goku to not not interact with Frieza and to stay away from him. Uh, yeah, it's a very very serious situation, and what and Goku's kind of like I guess childish or coy responses to King Kai's warnings. I mean, while it is very Goku, it also tells us that Goku d- does not realize the gravity of the situation. He's not, he doesn't process what King Kai is telling him or who King Kai is and why he would know things. Yeah, this is, this is great. And there's also, there's a nice little detail in here with Piccolo too. When Piccolo tells uh, Goku to, to just, you know, do his thing to resurrect them Piccolo, there's two things because one Piccolo has like this one scene of him just with this evil smirk on his face. It still feels like we've got a little bit of that, like evil Piccolo from the original Dragon Ball, which I like a lot, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't think this, tell me what you think about this Dayton, because I don't think that this was in Dragon Ball Z because Piccolo here tells Goku, get me to planet Namek and we'll deal with Frieza. I don't think that was in Dragon Ball Z. I don't remember that either, but I don't remember. I need to rewatch that in the original because I don't remember it, but I also don't remember what was originally said there. I don't know if there was important dialogue in that moment, whereas now it kind of seems like there is, right? Yeah, I don't remember this specific scene, but I don't I don't think that it was Piccolo's idea to take him to Namek. Maybe I'm being strongly influenced by Dragon Ball Z Abridged here, where Piccolo's <laughs> like, why the fuck did you get me to Namek? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh yeah, it's it's interesting. I'll have to rewatch the original and just see see what's said there because you're right, that did kind of stick out to me, but I also kind of pinned it on me not seeing Z in such a long time. Like, I don't remember every single detail, but you're right. That is kind of an important little piece of dialogue. It's, I mean, it's Piccolo inserting himself into the situation. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, so I, I'm not certain if that's the case or not, but I, I I did want to just bring it up and talk about it briefly. We also see Goku cranking up the gravity to 50 times the fun baby. Oh, does he bring it up to 50? I totally miss that. He mentions it um, right before they end this King Kai conversation scene where he's just like, well, I'm done with 30. I think I'll crank it up to 50. And then they flip away. Hell yeah. I I, I hope that they show there's a lot of really cool scenes from original Dragon Ball Z of Goku training in the gravity. And I actually really like those training scenes. So I hope they keep putting those in sprinkled throughout. I hope so too. I remember very distinctly the one where he's like firing Kamehameha's at himself. Yeah, that one's good. There's another one too, where he's like strapped in with his ankles up in the air and he's doing sit-ups in the gravity and stuff. There's some really great scenes with that. It's like, show me that training. I want to see, I want to see you earn it. I don't want to see you just gifted it. Absolutely. And we kind of snap back at this point to Namek where Vegeta senses Krillin and Dende now. Uh, I mean, Vegeta kind of getting better at this sensing energy thing. And so Vegeta takes chase thinking like these two energies moving pretty quickly. I don't want to take any chances. I should figure out who these people are. 
Uh, however, as he's closing in on them, he quickly deviates, changing course, and senses Zarbon is now solo. And so Vegeta's thinking, hey, I just took out Dodoria. Zarbon is next on the menu. I love that Vegeta's just playing that shark in deep water. He's just circling the ship, waiting for scraps to fall off. I mean, it's, and I know you mentioned this a lot. This is a tactical move, right? It's, I'm going to win through tactics and ruthlessness and not, not just raw strength, which if you asked him, he has the most raw strength, but he has all <laughs> these other traits that he's putting on display. And it's just, it's really cool to see that Vegeta, like, realization of, shit, Zarbon's on his own. I'm going to go get him and just zoom off in the other direction. Yeah, he just pisses off with whatever else he was following over here. It's it's really fun to watch. Uh, but this turns into Vegeta similarly trying to sucker punch Zarbon, but not quite catching him off guard as much as he did Dodoria. Uh, and then Vegeta, again, talking smack being like hey i'm here to beat that ass and he certainly does for a few minutes he's definitely got the upper hand as he starts beating zarbon up throwing him around um easily outclassing him in the moment yeah and i want to i want to say that this scene while it's not the most like choreographed fight or necessarily the most interesting fight i think they did a really good job of kind of doing the glow up on this initial fight scene with Zarbon, the explosion quality of the key blasts were top notch on top of the, um, just the contrasting colors that they were able to really put on full display. The difference between their energy auras and stuff, everything just looked really good and clean here. This is actually where I think Kai did a great job of, of taking a scene that isn't largely important, but making it look really good. I'll have to go back and watch that. I'm glad that you noticed that because I think I kind of overlooked it. Uh, I the the fight itself, like you were saying, as far as choreography, is pretty uh, well forgettable at first. There are a couple few moments in a well as we get to uh, <laughs> Vegeta handing Zarbon his ass. Zarbon says, "Well, I think." this is a good time to show you my transformation uh, stating that he doesn't like to use his transformation because it makes him look like a hideous monster. And he doesn't like to sacrifice his looks for power, but he's kind of backed into a corner in this moment. Yeah. And of course, Vegeta hearing that there's this powerful form that Zarbon can turn into of course, lets him do the entire transformation. Peak DBZ, love it, 10 out of 10. Oh yeah, absolutely. And this completely turns the tables on Vegeta as Zarbon starts beating that ass. And there's there's some cool sequences now at this point in the fight, in my opinion, where Zarbon like grabs Vegeta by the head and throws him around. He blasts Vegeta from the sky with a key blast right into Vegeta's stomach. And as Vegeta's being pushed and launched towards the ground with this key ball in his stomach, he just barely manages to roll off the side of the key ball as it hits the ground and explodes and knocks him across the, across the way. And then 
finally, the final move in this fight, which I love visually, is Zarbon wrapping his arms around Vegeta in the air, both of them plummeting towards the ground as Zarbon full-on energy power bombs or pile drives Vegeta into the ground. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I do also love that when when Zarbon transformed into that detestable beast, his fighting style also kind of changed to match it. Whereas he was kind of nimble and showy in his original form, like we saw with him dancing with the Dragon Balls while kicking people to death, uh, kicking the Mechians to death specifically. Now he's just brute force. He's throwing headbutts. He's slamming people into the dirt. He's throwing just big, bad energy attacks. I love that the brutality of Zarbon's form matches his fighting style like this. And I just I wanted to bring that up because I love seeing that subtle change. That's a really good attention to detail. And it's funny because I picked out pieces after Zarbon transforms that I thought were really cool set pieces for the choreography. And I didn't actually pick up on the fact that it's it's largely because his fighting changes so drastically after the transformation. So that's that's a good catch on that. I really like the way he fights after he transforms. It's super fun. I think Vegeta thought it was less fun, though, because he's cratered into the ground and that that crater then collapses in from the pressure of the nearby water that rolls in and pulls Vegeta out and just sweeps him away. And it's at this point that Zarbon assumes that the Saiyan Prince is no more. And that is quickly uh, revealed to the audience that that is not the case. They probably could have ended it there, but <laughs> that's not the case. And now it ends. <laughs> so cliffhangers, yeah. we don't do that here. Like it's, we don't want to make you wait. I'm not going to lie. I kind of think, I feel like that's where the cliffhanger was in Dragon Ball Z, as in the one that you said it should have been. I think it was this crater, Vegeta's in the water, and the episode ends. So it feels weird that it got shifted to Vegeta then crawling out of the water, being like, I'm going to get Zarbon back. <laughs> I mean, my thing is, if they did end it there originally, they could have done it again. There's, It's literally like three more seconds of content that they added to the end of this to get rid of the cliffhanger. I don't know why they did that. It it does feel a little bit weird. I mean, the the interesting point here is that we've now watched Vegeta kill Dodoria and then fight Zarbon thinking he had the upper hand, but get his ass beat by Zarbon. Mm -hmm. However, we also know as Vegeta keeps spouting off that every time a Saiyan gets to near death, they get stronger. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess the uh, the power-up from it is huge, because I feel like Vegeta got hugely more powerful after his experience on Earth. I, I don't know. In terms of power level, uh, at the very least, his power level was in in the ballpark of 24,000, if only when he's using like his key blasts and stuff, like his Gallic gun. Uh, because, And I only say that because we know that we know Napa was around the like six to 7,000 mark, maybe even close to 8,000 because Goku had to use, I mean, Goku had the upper hand against him, but he had to use the Kaioken to really finish him off. Right. He, he was kind of using cheat codes. Yeah, basically. Um, and then we know, I think we even got a reading at some point with either Vegeta or Goku in the like, in the teens, in the like 16,000 area. 
Um, oh, you know but, what? You're right. Even someone mentions um, Vegeta's previous uh, highest power level red at some point while we're on Namek. So, and I do believe it was it was up there in the mid to high teens, if I remember correctly. I think you're right. I think it's either sixteen thousand or eighteen thousand. Um, but still, I mean, that six thousand jump is it's what is like twenty five percent ish. You're right. So that that's a big jump, and then he's going to continue to get another big jump for those of us who have seen what's going forward. Yeah. So we know, we know Vegeta, I mean, he got quite a bit stronger between earth and now just by getting his butt kicked. And now he's about to get another jump like that. I, man, they know Saiyans are a problem. You got to make sure they're wiped out, man. I mean, that's why Frieza killed them all. Like if you get a bunch of, a bunch of Saiyans who have a high power level at birth, and then they just keep on fighting and fighting and fighting, like just by the nature of their genetics, they're going to get really strong, mm-hmm. really fast. I will say it at this point, I'm starting to get real excited because with a lot of the um, current henchmen kind of getting out of the scene, I know that the Ginyu force is coming up and I know that we're going to get a lot more Frieza time coming up. And I love Frieza and I love the Ginyu force with all of my goddamn heart. They are one of my favorite, favorite groups of people in any show ever. They just crack me the hell up. I think they're amazing. That's funny. I absolutely adore the Ginyu Force. It's funny to me, though, that you like the Ginyu Force, but I don't think that you like the Great Saiyan Man, if I remember. No, correctly. Great Saiyan Man annoys me. I don't like the Great <laughs> Saiyan Man, but I love the Ginyu Force. That's great because it is my it is absolutely my headcanon. And I think there's I think there was a YouTuber who might have come up with this. Uh, it might have been somebody on Team Four Star, but it's my headcanon that Gohan, as a teenager in high school, created the great Saiyan man because of his experience with the Ginyu force as a child. I mean, I'd believe it. Gohan's got to be probably one of the most traumatized adults walking around on Earth. That kid has seen a lot. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Uh, oh, and uh, if uh, we don't have any Australian accents on the Ginyu Force, it's a garbage series. I'm calling it right now. Man, I already, it took me a little while to get used to the voice for Zarbon. Because I was, I, I think the original voice actor for Zarbon was actually Chris Sabat doing his kind of like, well, Vegeta, it's <laughs> like that sort of tone to it. Mm. And the, the voice actor they got for him is good it's just different than what i expect from my childhood yeah i'm i'm feeling the same way about frieza because frieza's original voice is ingrained into my my soul at this point i can think of a frieza's original voice right now without trying and for some reason frieza sounds is it a different voice actor because it sounds different it's it's a completely different gender (laughs) oh well there you go it, it went from being, I believe, Lindy Young in the original Dragon Ball Z Funimation dub to now being Chris Ayers in the Dragon Ball Z Kai. I have heard that Chris Ayers' performance as Frieza is phenomenal. Really? I, I don't think that I've seen it yet. No, Frieza really hasn't said or done much so far. No, and so... I'm still waiting to see Chris Ayers' performance as Frieza. Did Chris Ayers do Frieza in Super? I think he did up to a point. So, unfortunately, 
uh chris Ayers, i believe recently passed away um and so he ended up having to get replaced by oh gosh what is his name devon something who is basically doing he did uh frieza throughout most of the tournament of power i believe okay um and he's he's a he's a younger voice actor he does a very good job uh does a very good job of kind of doing in a voice match for chris Ayers' version of frieza and so i don't know i'm i'm excited and curious to see how frieza turns out because there are a lot of like very expressive emotional moments for frieza moving forward and i'm I'm curious to see how Chris Ayers does it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge. I will say, um, Frieza being voiced by a woman the first time around explains why I thought Frieza was a girl for like, like the first little while I had watched. <laughs> I don't know how many episodes like, wait, Frieza's a boy. What? I mean, come on, man. Like the, the purple lipstick, like the, <laughs> it's got a female voice actor. Like, uh, I mean, it. I don't even know. I don't even know if if Frieza's race. Not going down that rabbit hole. Not going down <laughs> that rabbit hole. That's a whole different discussion right there. We can talk about alien genitalia at, at some other episode. Okay. I don't know if they have gender. Are they like Namekians? Are they like? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. That's that's a whole subject right there, and I'm not diving into it. I'm going to I'm going to set us up with a new episode about Frieza's race and gender. <laughs> OK, all right. I'll I'll get a PowerPoint together and we can post it on the Twitter. Perfect. Oh, by the way, we have a Twitter. <laughs> you guys should go to that. That's... We do a terrible job of promoting that. <laughs> That's right. We're trying to figure out Twitter. It's uh, I believe our Twitter handle is at ITDB podcast. Uh, and yeah, it's basically just dragon ball z stuff up there we post when our episodes come out on there uh we are trying to get better at actually using it and promoting it <laughs> yeah we're we're kind of at the point now where when i type our podcast name and we actually show up in google versus being buried a thousand pages deep so maybe we'll take the time to eventually get that stuff online and <laughs> god knows when this episode's going to air so maybe maybe some things will be different i don't know maybe we'll have like an instagram and post pictures of food and alien genitalia i don't know I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards Instagram alien genitalia. Okay. Uh, but... <laughs> All right. Actually, I already have a folder, but I'll, I'll send that to you later. All right. Perfect. <laughs> but yeah, again, that the handle for that for the Twitter I just checked to verify is at ITDB podcast, which stands for Instant Transmission Dragon Ball Podcast. Uh, I have to point that out because when I told Dayton that handle, he was like. What is ITDB? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What is that? What are we? <laughs> oh, shoot. But I, <laughs> as we're kind of wrapping things up, uh, how did you feel? How did you feel about this first kind of half of the, the Namek arc in Kai, especially versus Dragon Ball Z, Dayton? Honestly, this, I thought this was actually a very pleasant experience. There's a couple areas where, I feel like we could have given a little bit more detail or slowed down a little bit because it's, it works for me because I've, you know, I've already been to Namek. I've seen original Dragon Ball. And so things happening at breakneck speed, my brain's probably kind of filling in any of the gaps that might be there, but it's absolutely worth it to me because of 
all the freaking filler that we have cut out from the travel to Namek and just some of the episodes where they're just sitting around not really doing anything there. It's it's very streamlined, but it also needed a lot of streamlining. So is it perfect? Eh, no, but is it very well done? I'll give it a very well done. I give it I give it pretty good marks in my book. I think I agree with you so far. I of course I think both of us have our our minor complaints here and there. And we didn't really touch very heavily on the animation. There continue to be scenes where they completely redraw the scene. And anytime they do that, I don't like it. I will say most of the times they did it in this chunk of episodes, it was not an important scene. So I'm, I'm glad for that. Uh, yeah, and... nothing nothing really stood out to me like in the Saiyan saga where there was a couple scenes where like it looked bad. It looked really bad. Raditz in particular, some of the fight scenes had those shots in it. And I was like, oh, oh, that, it really pulled me out of the action. Or there's I think there's even a couple shots where they redrew Vegeta, but they didn't do anything with the background. And so you yeah. have like this bright cartoony character sitting in the foreground and then this like watercolor matte background. And it looks just awful. I agree. It it feels like they're using that less. And I hope that that continues to be the case. I agree. Forward. <laughs> I agree. It, less is more in this case, just pretty things up a little bit. Don't overdo it. It's we'll love it. We'll love it to death. If you just, just, not do really much at all. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The The color corrections continue to look great, in my opinion. Uh, some people and it sounds like are... the music has been pretty good, too. Um, I know you've been paying attention to it. I have not, but I have not noticed it be out of place or not fit the scene so far. There have been, I'll, I'll say this about the music. I, again, I'm still kind of middling on it, but there have been more scenes that I've been like, oh, wow, that's that's a really good choice for that scene for the music. Then scenes where I was like, oh, my God, why would they put that music in that scene? <laughs> so it's overall been a positive experience. Is that a better way to say it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that there have been really any scenes, honestly, where I was like really pulled out of it because the music was bad. It's either mediocre or it has enhanced the scenes. I, I mean, it's it's better than my experience with Super, where the one sad song they play for every freaking thing that happens. It just <laughs> like like That's guys, true. you are overplaying this. The super music, the super music got good like towards the last third or quarter of Dragon Ball Super. When you're into the tournament arc, it actually has some really good songs. I but... mean, admittedly, when you've got that many episodes of filler that you still got to put music into, they, they're probably going to get pretty dry pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, moving back to the the episodes that we covered here, I I like it. I think I think like you said, Dayton, there are probably pieces that I am filling in the blanks a little bit. Um, I'd be curious, very curious to to hear someone's opinion about the show who has no Dragon Ball experience whatsoever, because it is it is very fast. It is a lot of information in very short periods of time. Uh, and I think we and, mentioned that before, too, where where it's you're getting so much. And we made the mistake the very first episode kind of cutting up the episodes like we normally would. Um, there's so much content we had to cut it down 
And I mean, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I really want to know what a non Dragon Ball fan or somebody who hasn't seen Dragon Ball, what they think about this, because I can't help but feel like I would just be information overloaded. And then like, there's definitely got to be some points where they assume that you have some knowledge of what's going on. And so they don't explain it. But because I've seen all of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, my brain automatically fills in that gap and I don't notice it. Yeah, I mean, even even like you've pointed out, the scene in the very first episode that they use from the the Bardock special where Planet Vegeta is getting blown up. I'd I'd be so curious to see what somebody with no Dragon Ball context has feels about that episode, especially getting to like the Vegeta Dodoria reveal of <laughs> your planet was blown up by Frieza. It's just why? What did you think happened to it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because the audience is already in on it. They're like, we we knew that already. <laughs> yeah, uh, you guys forgot that this was a reveal. I guess. Okay, it's wild. I, uh, but I mean, overall, especially as somebody who's watched the original Dragon Ball Z, I I agree with you, Dayton. I'm I'm down for them cutting out all the garbage, like cutting out fake Namek, cutting out the fucking spaceship of rebels or whatever the hell they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I man, if I had to sit through and watch that again, I'd want to stab my eyes out with a fork. What, what do you think uh, about the episode where Goku knocks the gravity up too high and we have a whole episode of him trying to turn it back down? I forgot that was an entire episode. <laughs> 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 I I like most of the gravity training, but that one was too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they definitely milked entire episodes out of not very much <laughs> or nothing. Yeah, or nothing. So overall, I I I agree with you, Dayton. It it gives it's getting pretty high marks for from me. I'll be really curious to see when we're finished what our numbers look like for reviewing all of the arcs and rating them together yeah it's i mean i really really just want to see what people actually i'm i don't think my wife's seen dragon ball in like so many freaking years i might have her just sit down and watch it and get her feedback because it might be close enough to not seeing it where she she might ask questions, right? Like, what? why are they doing this? Or why is this happening? So she might be able to give me some insight. I'm really curious. Yeah, I was trying to think of people I know who haven't watched Dragon Ball. I don't like, know mm-hmm. anyone who hasn't seen Dragon Ball. <laughs> I, I think I have maybe one friend and maybe I can convince him to watch it. <laughs> He's like, hey, you need to watch this. Well, why? I, I need you to watch this. Also, this is the sped up version, so it's short, so you'll love it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but... Was there, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. I, this, the content for these episodes is so dense that our, our episodes get pretty long here. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about for the episodes, Dayton? Uh, no, I think, I think for me, uh, a big part of Kai is going to be when we, when we finish it and we get to the end and we can kind of discuss it as a whole, because I feel like there's some universal, I guess, things that I'm, I've been seeing up to this point with certain animation issues and music choices and, and the way that they choose to keep some content and cut out others, it's it's interesting. It's almost like it, a reinterpretation of Z in some ways. It, it yeah, it very much is. I'm I'm curious to see. I really want to see how much they cut out of the 
the Frieza fight. That will be interesting. Yeah, considering it felt like it was a million episodes the first time I had seen it. So it, we'll. It was roughly one million. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I figured. I figured somebody counted, but no, no, that, that's <laughs> that's it for me. I'm just looking forward to some more Frieza content and and Chris airs on the Frieza voice. Yeah, yeah, me too. But. I think that's going to be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we fly to the Grand Elder's house in part two of the Namek arc. Krillin and Gohan have managed to avoid direct confrontation with the big guns running around Namek, but they're sorely outclassed. However, the Grand Elder might have a secret or two that could even the playing field. Can Gohan and Krillin get their hands on a Dragon Ball before Frieza finds all seven? How much will Goku's six days of gravity training really pay off? Will Vegeta get another chance at blowing his load all over Zarbon's insides? (laughs) Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans... Stay safe out there, and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Look at my trucker hat.